Hello and welcome to the London Property Podcast. Today we're in conversation with Rachel Laxer, who's an interior designer with offices in London and New York. Okay, so good morning, Rachel. Thank you for joining us on the London Property Podcast. Um, I think what we'll do is, first of all, we'll start by um, telling us a little bit about how you started working in interior design, a little bit about how it all began. Uh, good morning, Farnes. Thank you for inviting me to join the podcast. Um, it was a very sort of strange road that led me to interior design. I had always um, been interested in interiors and people's homes, but I had worked previously in finance. And um, when we moved to Japan, I started mixing this East meets West idea of taking our Western furniture and picking things up in flea markets in Tokyo and doing up our our flat there. And also then it translated to doing other expats homes, mixing obis as curtain pelmets and cutting them up into pillows and random finds in these markets. And then I was very, very lucky around that time, Kelly Hoppin had come out with a book called East Meets West. And Christian Liog really had started to break into the forefront of um, Western design in Paris and then also Holly Hunt. And that's informed how I thought about interiors. And subsequently, we moved to London and uh, Kelly's shop was down the street from our house. And I became friendly with the person in there. And then I was very lucky to take some classes at KLC and meet her and end up with an internship, which led to doing sourcing and working for her firm for a while until I went out on my own. And that uh, was the beginning of it all. You know, sometimes you just have one lucky break. And I probably was the oldest intern she ever hired at 40. Um, But I rolled up my sleeves and got going and would take my daughters in their prams down Pimlico Road to find interesting things for projects. And that has been my love affair with interiors ever since. So you've always had the passion for design and also that's backed with your kind of yourself being an international uh, person who you're originally from New York, you went to Japan, you came to London. So you understand the psyche of uh, the type of clients that you get, I suppose, in your business uh, today that enables you to to go across borders and and understand different types of requirements very much so i think absolutely the working remotely which everyone has sort of been forced to do because of the pandemic has been second nature to who um rli is as a firm because i've always had um projects in new york projects in london projects in spain projects in france um and other remote and other places even much more remote. So we've always worked in a way that allowed the client to see the totality of their package, understand what they're buying, and then do these full-scale installations um, at remote places, which has been fascinating because you learn about the history and the local culture, and we try to weave that into our interior design and, and take advantage of the local crafts. When we did a chalet in France, we worked with local wood carvers to take um, sort of very, very traditional French carvings for the mountains and 
reinterpret it in a modern way. And we did something very similar when we did the Art of Retreat in Spain. We found these amazing Spanish um, workers and artisans to help us make very special pieces for the retreat. Uh, and I would say also one of the key points about being this global person and moving around is that I think about what you buy for your home and does it have le what I call legs or value. And that really means that if you're in one place for three years and then you move someplace else for three years, will that object really work for you in a different location? Or if you change your mind, will that object have value and you can take it to a secondary market such as Sotheby's or Christie's and put it for auction or take it to a dealer. So um, the finance person in me goes back to a Graham and Dodd, what I call a Graham and Dodd value investing in your furniture um, and buying good things that last as well. Yeah, that's one of the things that I noticed about your work is that, you know, people people often think of interior design as a, as a luxury uh, item but it can also have an investment value as you say so you, you buy things that are useful to you now and then when when you grow out of them or when you move they 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 could even go up in value when you come to resell them so let's let's think about uh just hypothetically of one of your clients and uh how that relationship forms from when you initially find a client and then how you kind of follow their global requirements, whether it is for their residential property, commercial property, or other family members. How, in your mind, think of an example and talk us through how that whole process works so that if somebody actually didn't want to have to revisit this interior design in every jurisdiction that they had a home, but they could actually just ask you to do that for them and how you go about doing that in, in, in different, different places. Well, we spent a lot of time in the beginning, getting to know the client and making sure that ultimately the language of the home reflects who they are. Um, so so I, I think that certain, there's two avenues you can take um, in interiors in my, in my mind, which is one is very much um, what I call the Chanel suit or the Armani suit, that it is a distinct look of a designer and that is what you like and therefore you buy that look. Or the other is what I call the Saville Row approach, which is you're creating a bespoke suit for that client, which is the bespoke home, which very much once the designer steps back, you see the individual as opposed, and, and the suit is made to measure. And so we like to think of our homes, of what we do for clients as something that's very much made to measure. And in the beginning of a project, we really, in the, you know, years ago before Pinterest, we would say to clients, rip out, you know, things in magazines, make, make me piles of things you love, things you hate. Now we do it much easier in Pinterest or first dibs, which allows us to have folders. Um, so we understand and ask questions, not in a formal questionnaire, because we don't like to just hand a questionnaire over and do the homework, but we have a series of questions we like to take clients through to better understand them. And once we do that iteration, we go into um you know, the obvious of doing floor plans and elevations, but also then doing these mood boards and CGI. So the client can very much pick and choose the things they like. And once they think they've 
picked everything they liked. We put it into a CGI, which is a computer generated image, which almost looks like a photograph. And that is so helpful for a client because they might just say, oh, I thought I wanted a black and white room, but then in reality, I want something warmer, less stark, you know, bringing um, color to it. And that prevents what I would say expensive mistakes, because if you see what you're buying before you buy it um, through a CGI, uh, it's very easy for someone who doesn't visualize to then visualize. Um, So that's a tremendous gift, both for the designer and for the client. And then for clients, once they we get to know them and we go to, let's say their second home or their third home. Um, We have a situation where a very long-term client is doing a a new, a new home and they might be selling their, um, their flat and downsizing because their kids have gone off to college. And we've really gone through their primary residence and said, over time, what are the pieces you want to keep? All right, we invested in this incredible chandelier. We're going to want to bring that to the new house. But they might say, I'm not moving to the new house for a few years. Well, we will find something that's a bit of a placeholder that can go in for not so much money, that can then find a new home, maybe in one of their children's first apartments, and then the bigger chandelier can come in. So I'm always thinking about what are the beautiful pieces we have? Because, um, you know, there is a there is an element, and we talk about it in the office a lot, of carb- the carbon footprint. How much, we don't want people always buying things and throwing them away. This is not a disposable um, approach to interiors. We like to think about people investing in beautiful things, like jewel- in the same way that you might buy jewelry, and you pass it on from generation to generation or home to home. Um, and you see it differently. Sometimes you enjoy it in one place and then you put it in another place and you get to get to know it all over again, which is wonderful. So you really truly connect the sort of art of design to value and, and minimizing waste. So you, you sort of put yourself in the shoes of the, of, of the client, say, right, so if this was me, you know, how would I want to best uh, maximize what I get out of what I've invested in and minimize the waste and, and, and reuse, which is which is a very... Um, I think a very collaborative uh, approach rather than just spending lots of money on their behalf and just keep buying new things, which is really nice. Um, do you find that when you do uh, properties for, for a client from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, there's just certain things that they then no longer have to worry about because you understand their lifestyle and you know what you need to re-deliver in different places. So what's what's a kind of unique thing that 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 connects the different properties you do for the same person? Well, many times for the client once we have especially the mattresses the bedding um those elements um of the home we know exactly what mattress they need we know exactly how they want their bed made up they know what kind of sheets they like to sleep on um we also apply that same principle to their tabletop so while we're designing the project even if it has a long lead time, I start to pick up accessories and um, art and we build the collection. So it doesn't, you don't get to the end of the project and look and then just run out and buy a bunch of things to throw in to fill some bookshelves. It's actually curated along with the project with the, and then also with tabletop, 
we think about what are the napkins they're going to need in the house? What are the napkin rings? What are the placemats? What are the plates? Oh, we love this particular white plate. Let's have it in three residences. So if they do consolidate downsize, they have sets that all go together. It doesn't, they don't end up with a jumble sale of crockery. Um, so I just think very holistically about the project and the client and the, and also the message of the house. I always feel that the house or the, or the, the office or the resort speaks to you and it tells you what it needs. So um, if I'm doing, if I'm doing an apartment in Miami, it's very different than if doing an apartment in New York or a flat in London, you know, the different light informs how you think about it. And if we're moving furniture from one of those places to another, we might be recovering it or refinishing it, but we most likely are not throwing things away. That's a, that's great. So what was the, what's the most challenging thing that, that you've done and what's the most interesting thing that you've done? Or are they, or have they been the same thing? Most challenging, most interesting. Um, every project sort of breathes new life and new interest. And I um, think that when I'm doing something for a client and they have a particular interest or a particular vision and sort of digging in, sort of being this Nancy Drew that investigates a certain style is is always intellectually very interesting to me. If someone says, I like Italian modernism. That's very interesting to me or Spanish revival. I dig into the history and who are the makers and what I can bring to that party. If someone says to me, I have a really tight budget and I need it to sing and look like something more. Well, making that budget work across the areas they need to make it work. That's also an interesting challenge. So I like to take on projects that I find intellectually challenging with people that I think will like me and I will like them. So it's a happy collaborative um, process. And if it's not going to be fun or we don't get on, then I'm not the right person. You know, there's a lot of designers in this world and a lot of good designers. So um, I think for every project, you have to, you have for sure. Yeah. Relationship is a long, long uh, process and it's quite an emotional process designing someone's home rather than designing someone's office. So you, you, you do do residential and commercial. So so does the commercial take you into offices, into, into hotels, spas, galleries? How, how, how broad is your, your work? It has taken me into offices. It's taken me into resorts. Um, it hasn't yet taken me into restaurant, but that would certainly be high on the list, but it's, um, the, it's, it's a pleasure to sort of go back and forth between commercial and residential because more and more, especially since the pandemic, people want their homes to, you know, to function as offices. And they also want their office to feel more like home. So the lines have become blurred um, in a way that's very interesting as a designer. 
Yes, well, I, I, there was talks at the beginning of the pandemic about the death of, of the office. And I think at the end of the pandemic, everyone's like, when are they opening and how soon can we get back to them? I think that question's definitely been answered with regards to the death of the office, I would imagine. I don't think the office is dead at all. I think what's going to happen is um, I think the the pandemic has been incredible for working women because for so many years, I think people thought they had to either, it was hard to do both. And I think the pandemic has shown people that you can work from home. You can be flexible. You can come into an office a few days a week. You can make some of them hours, you know, you can work a bit from home. And um, so I think it's been extraordinarily difficult and trying for so many people and so painfully sad. But I think there have been a few silver linings to it, um, if you can call it that. Yeah, I think blurring the lines between the two is it, it, it also causes a lot less stress if you're sort of seamlessly going between your resident and your and, and your office. It, it just makes the whole thing a lot more manageable. So if the phone was to ring and your perfect client was at the other end of it, what, what would that be? What would be your dream? Yes, this is exactly what I do best. This is exactly the type of person I want to hear from. What would that be? Um, well, I think hmm, that's a toughie because there's so many, you know, I have so many dream clients, but I think number one is just an interesting project, be it, you know, we're doing up, we're taking a listed building and we're re you know, getting planning to reconfigure it and use it in a contemporary way, which I absolutely love because when you do something that has a historical element and you have to weave the old and the new, uh, it's very interesting. When I have a client who says, I really care deeply about art and I want you to help me work to build a collection. I don't know much about it, but I, I care about it. I'd like to learn about it. I love that. Or a client that has a very, very formed collection. I have a few clients that are very big collectors and learning about their collection and building a home around it is, is great. Um, and then I also, I just, before the lockdown, I was very fortunate to work on a, a large scale project at Canary Wharf. And I just, I loved doing commercial. I found that that was very exciting and tapped a different part of my brain. So um, there is no one perfect client at the end of the phone for, for us. For you. Well, I think that if I was to think of who to send you away, I would think of someone who would appreciate both the, the financial aspect of, of, of your approach, where you try to, to be uh, within budget, you try to not waste money, you, you think of how to grow the design with the client. Um, and, and to me, it seems like you, you get you like to get intellectually involved and you like to get involved in, in the long in the long run. So I think that uh a client who 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 keeps requiring the services would be the type of person that would really appreciate your unique selling points. And before we before we switch off, if you were to give advice to people who are just doing their own homes and you know thinking what to do, what what are your sort of top three design tips to people at home? Okay, number one, buy what you love, because if you buy what you love, you will have it for years. So you're so much better off buying that one original chair 
rather than a copy because the copy is going to break and look like crap. And if you buy that one beautiful piece, you will have it for years and years and years and it will give you joy. So, and I take that principle with what you put on your walls as well. Invest, I'd rather have one beautiful piece of art on my wall or one beautiful photograph than all my walls filled. You'll you'll have time to collect and you'll have time to build things. But if you invest in good pieces, um, they'll they'll move with you and stay with you for life and give you pleasure. My next best piece of advice is um don't be afraid to paint your walls dark. Um, if you have a very limited budget and you want to add drama, I strongly suggest you go out and get buckets and buckets of Farrow and Ball downpipe. It's the perfect charcoaly, sexy gray. It works in bedrooms, it works in dining rooms, it works in living rooms, and it makes everything pop off of it. And the other thing that I always say is that, um, you know, if you can't, your first piece might want to be just a very, very simple linen sofa and a and sisal rug. And then you spend your money on the pillows and things that you, and accessories that you put with it. And maybe you find a flea market coffee table and paint it a crazy color, like a red or a deep blue or green. Um, but if the core is these naturals, these neutrals, you can always layer um, with lovely accessories. So those are my little bits. Those are your top tips. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you want to share with us? Um, no, I think we're, you know, we're very, we're a very straightforward company. I think that one of the things that you touched on is that when I take on a project, I really truly spend and think about it as if I am the client. So I, I don't waste anyone's time. I don't waste their money. Um, we're super transparent as a firm because I, it's all the things that I would want if I were to go to an interior designer. Um, and we were. And you've recently won an award, which had uh, a very impressive panel of judges on it. So I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about Rachel Laxer interiors in the super prime uh, London property market. Well, that uh, would. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you very, very much for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Take care. You too. Bye. Thank you, Rachel, for a very interesting conversation about your journey into interior design. To get in touch with any of our speakers, or if you have any questions, please contact us at londonproperty.co.uk.